Let's jump into this. Um, I'm in part two of a message that I started last week. And if you weren't here last week, you can get online. It doesn't, you didn't have to be here last week to understand this week. But the, the, these two weeks are called excuses, like Jenny just sang about. Well, we're looking at some of the excuses that you and I tend to make when, when God tells us to do or not do something or God says something is true or not true or God says something is good or evil or that's acceptable, but that's out of bounds. And whatever it is that God has said to us, it, it bumps into our lives. It, it conflicts with something that I wanna do or I think is, is better or I feel is the right thing to do for me. In other words, God says, do this, but I wanna do that. What do I do? You know, God says this is a better way to, to live. This is a better way to love people. This is a better way to do marriage. This is a better way to do finances or sexuality or family. But, but what I do is I look back at God and go, I, I don't believe you. It's not that I'm unclear. God, I know what you're saying. I just disagree with you. Anybody ever disagree with God? I, I don't see how that could be better. I don't, I don't understand how what God says is a better way could ever lead to a life that's better for me or at least a happier one. I can't put those together. So what many of us do when, when what we want to do conflicts with what God says to do is we start thinking up ways to get around what we know God has told us to do. We want to get around that so we can go ahead and do what we want to do. We're just trying to you know, kind of explain it or excuse it or feel better about it. So how do we do that? This is what we talked about last week. A lot of us just decide or we pretend or we try to pretend like there's no God. Right? So if there's no God, then I can just go ahead and make up my own rules. Uh, this is what's right and this is what's wrong for me. It's kind of like a little kid, you know, and they yell at you and go, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. We do that to God all the time. But what we looked at last week is the Bible says that because of the way God has wired us up, it's, it's impossible to deny the existence of God. We can try, but we know. So what a lot of us do, and I'd say most of us do, I put myself in this category, is I simply reinvent God. Don't you? Into a model or an image that aligns more along the lines of what, what I think God should be or what I think God ought, ought to do, right? The way Paul says that is he says, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. In other words, we come up with better new, new definitions of truth. We have better definitions of right or wrong and good and evil than what God said was good and evil and right and wrong. And once we have our new improved version of God and our new improved version of truth, guess what? We can do anything we want because our new version of God always agrees with us, right? Always looks at you and goes, well, I understand what's really going on in your situation. Most people shouldn't do that, but you're different. Always tells us, you know, to be true to ourselves. Always just go with your heart. But then in chapter one, we, we looked at four of the scariest words in the Bible. And they're, they're not what you'd think. It's not the wrath of God. We looked at the, those words. That's not the scariest words in the Bible to me anyway. Now, the scariest four words in the Bible to me are, God gave them over. That scares me to death. You know, there comes a point in our lives where after you throw enough phrases like, God, leave me alone and butt out of my life and don't tell me what to do, where finally God looks back at you and goes, fine, go. Do, do, what, do what you want to do. Run, run your own life. F follow your own heart. Follow what you think is better. I promise, and I'll be honest with you up front, it's going to kill you, but you don't believe me. So go. Go live your life and run your own life and by your new version of truth and see where it leads you. And we do, or we try. But here, here's the truth, all right, is that just because we try to change God or, or change what he says is true doesn't really change who God is and doesn't change what is really true and it doesn't change the reality of this is how life actually works, really. And eventually the fallout of, of suppressing or, or sweeping true God and what he says about life to the side, it always plays out the same way. It ends up in the same place. Something in our lives or someone in our lives gets broken, right? Something falls apart. Something very important dies. And a lot of us were nodding our heads last week going, that would be my story, right? 
The, the last third of, of Romans chapter one, if you want to look at it later, is, is a list of the typical behaviors that we find when, when a person takes God and his truth and pushes it to the side and leans their life against a God that's not really God or a truth that's not really true. It's a long list. Sexuality gets broken and dies. Relationships and families, they fall apart, they die. The biggest, most important parts of our life unravel and die. And we worked our way through that list last week, but we don't look at that list as part of its bad sins and part of its not as bad sins. We don't do that at this church, all right? We we don't pick out one or two sins that we find personally more offensive and zero in and pick on them and people who do stuff like that and then ignore the rest. We don't do that here. Yeah, and just like the metaphor I've used a lot around here is if you're hanging over the, over the edge of a cliff by a chain, all it takes is for one link to break for you to fall. And it doesn't really matter which one you break. It's the same with sin. The result's always the same. A downward spiral until eventually, inevitably, something is laying at the bottom of the cliff or lying by the road, dead. But we, we, we ended last week, actually, with a little bit of hope, all right? It's kind of a, that's kind of a downer sermon, but we ended with a little bit of hope. And this is the hope we kind of ended with, is that no matter how far down that road we've traveled following a God and, and a truth that's not really true, the road back to real, true God is very simple. And it starts with turning back to true God. And the verse I gave you a preview of last week that we're going to look at more this week is Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And it's this, God's kindness leads you towards repentance, It's God's kindness leads you toward repentance. And that word repentance there simply means change your mind. God's kindness leads us to change our mind. The the way back to God always starts with, I I need to think different. I need to change my mind about God. I need to see and acknowledge God for who he really is and what he says is true. And I had this conversation with a gentleman this week. Like, well, how do you do that? What's the procedure to, to like, to, to, to have a conversation with God? I don't know. You just have a conversation with God that only you can have. You ask him, God, teach me or or reteach me the truth that I forgot. Teach me your truth for my life. And then ask him for forgiveness for all the untruth that's been a part of your life. And then the grace and the mercy and the strength to help you follow his truth from this point forward to do in you what you can't do for yourself. And he promises. The phrase we looked at last week was this great phrase, and God is faithful. He will forgive you for everything, past, present, and future, and he will help you. Now, let's move into tonight. You know, moving on, if, if, if I could sum up the last five weeks in a phrase or two, if I could boil everything down, if you haven't been here for the last month and a half, into, into like one sentence, all right, I think I could reduce it down to this. It goes like this. We, us, all right, we are totally, and by totally, I mean absolutely 100%, all right, completely, we are totally dependent upon what Jesus did for us on the cross to reconnect us back to God. If you haven't gotten anything else out of the last five weeks, this is it. We're totally, there's nothing we did for ourselves and cleaned up our act and promised God I'll never do that again. But we are totally dependent upon what Jesus did for us on the cross to reconnect us back to God. And we looked at a lot of big verses and statements to that effect. Romans chapter three, verse 22. This righteousness, this reconnection to God, this right standing and being saved and forgiven from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Remember that? So so connection to God comes through Jesus Christ. We looked at this, Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourself. None of us saved ourselves. None of us are ever gonna get to heaven going, yeah, I fixed my life and now that's why I'm here. No, it's the gift of God, not not by works so that no one can boast. And these are big verses, really important concepts that a lot of us as Christians, we throw around a lot and point to going, no, I know I'm forgiven. I I know I'm okay with God. I'm gonna be in heaven when I die. And we point to these verses, and rightly so. These are good verses, all right? These are like refrigerator verses. Like, I want to remember that, all right? Because these verses pretty much say it all. 
But, but today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 2, and Paul opens up Romans chapter 2, if you want to find it in your Bible, not with this huge pat on the back to all you good Christians who don't sin anymore. Way to go. It's not that, all right? No, right at the top of this chapter, and it was a letter, I don't know who broke it into chapters, but in this part of the letter, Paul addresses a, a behavior or a mindset that a lot of us Christians, and I put myself in this category, tend to move towards, especially the further we get away from that moment that we first accepted that free, not by works, gift of grace and forgiveness from God. A lot of us are really guilty of this. What is it? Here we go, Romans chapter two. Here we go, verse one. You, he's talking about us, by the way, all right, you Christians, right? You, you there, you, you have no excuse. That's the series title, by the way. All right, so anyway, you, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Remember that verse. So when you, a, a mere man or a mere person, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? And here's what Paul's going to go off on for quite a while, all right? Here's what he's witnessing in this church there in Rome, and it goes like this. Many times, once we Christians receive grace and forgiveness, a, a lot of us start looking at people around us who are doing the exact same things that we used to do before we started following Jesus, but instead of having empathy and compassion for them, instead of having a passion and, and a sense of urgency for them to learn the truth that saved and changed us, instead of us having a broken heart for those who haven't yet received grace and forgiveness that we received, instead what a lot of us do is we start pointing fingers, mean critical fingers at them, pass judgment on them, but don't lift a finger to help it do anything for them. And here's what Paul gets so fired up about. Two things, actually. First, while we're so, out, so busy you're pointing fingers at all those sinners out there, there are a lot of us in this room, Christians, that are secretly continuing to do the very same things as the people we're pointing fingers at, right? And Paul didn't make this up. This isn't like a new passion he had. He gets this from Jesus. Jesus said it this way in a very, very famous story. He said this, Matthew chapter 7, don't judge, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure or the standard that you're going to hold other people to, it'll be measured to you. Here's a question. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own face? All right? Can't... I, sorry, I just thought it'd be more better that way. Anyway, verse four. How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when the whole time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I think that people are kind of laughing. Jesus is being really sarcastic. He's like, maybe pick up a board and go, do you know how silly this looks? If you have a board hanging out of your face going, excuse me, over there. You have a speck, a sawdust. It's gross. I can't even look at you. And the whole time you have this beam hanging out of your face. And then the key phrase there is, the key word there is, is hypocrite. Underline that. See, it's not hypocritical to use good judgment, right? It's, I mean, it can't be, right? And by that, I mean to look at something or a behavior or, or use wisdom and discernment to determine if it lines up with what God says is right and good and true. I mean, over and over the Bible, God says, use good judgment. Use wisdom in making good decisions. So that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about hypocrisy, See, a hypocrite is someone who, who claims to be something that they really aren't, right? Jesus isn't being critical of a person looking around and seeing something wrong in somebody else's life, especially somebody they really care about, you know, and then saying something to that person out of love and concern. I'm really worried about that part of your life. We're actually supposed to do that. To not do that would actually be a, a, a sin to see something wrong. And I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. That's not what he's talking about. 
No, he's being critical of the person looking around and seeing something wrong in somebody else's life while pretending like there's nothing wrong in their own life. Like, we don't, I don't need grace anymore. I cleaned up my life. I don't need to be forgiven. I've actually, I'm a, I'm, I'm a good person. Thanks, Jesus, for getting me started, but I, I'm fine now. And this is something that Paul's going to spend a lot of time on later in Romans, and we are too. But in a nutshell, it goes like this. Hey, Christian, nothing changed. Nothing changed in your life. Oh, you became a Christian. Nothing changed, though. Well, something did. You became a self-righteous finger pointer. You got, you got baptized. You show at church a little more often, but really nothing else changed. Here's what changed. You became more secretive. You're better at sinning now. You're more discreet about how and where you sin. But you're just as mean, just as gossipy, just as critical. You still treat your family as bad as you did before you asked God for grace and forgiveness. And he gave it to you and you accepted it. You just won't give it to anybody else. You stopped saying things like, yeah, me too. And now you started pointing fingers and throwing stones and saying stuff like, you shouldn't do that. And you're a bad person. And I'm glad I'm not like you. And you might have a lot of, you might think you have a lot of people fooled, but God knows the truth. You're not fooling God at all. And I might add this, you're not fooling the people who live closest to you, like your family, because they know the truth about you and they know nothing's changed. You're no different. See, here's a big theme in the book of Romans. It goes like this. You don't, you don't clean up your life or change things in your life so that God will give you grace and forgive you and save you. But if God has given you grace and saved you, the evidence of that is your life changes. And if nothing changes, if you're the same old mean, hateful, gossipy, and go back to Romans 1, the whole list, and fill in the blank for you, if nothing is different, it raises the question, did you ever truly accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because if you did, things should probably be different by now. Which leads Paul to his second point, verse 4. Or, do you show contempt, just disdain, for the riches of God's kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, not realizing, here it is, that God's kindness leads you or led us toward repentance. And this is where we closed last week. The thing that changed your mind about God, right? About accepting Jesus, his son, as your savior wasn't, you know, wasn't because you were afraid of God. It wasn't because God threatened you with the wrath of God or I'll send you to hell if you don't accept Jesus or something like that. No, fear and threats might keep us in line for a while, but they don't change anybody's mind. They don't change anybody's heart, at least for any amount of time. So what changes a person? It's the kindness, it's the love, it's the tolerance and the patience that God has extended to you in the past. Some of us, he's been patient with us for years before we gave him the time of day, let alone turned his direction and followed him back to the place where we could lean our lives against him. So Paul's asking this question, why is it that so many Christians decide to follow Jesus, but instead of reflecting the grace and kindness that changed our minds about God, instead of reflecting that to other people, why do we get all self-righteous and judgmental and mean to those who are no worse off than we would be if God hadn't done for us what he did for us? It just doesn't make sense. But that's a lot of Christians. And you have to ask yourself, is that me? And the rest of chapter two is a restatement of how a person is saved and how a person is judged. And by a person, I mean this, all people in the world. How are all people in the world judged? And we're going towards that million dollar question that a lot of us have. How does God judge people? How does God judge people, especially those who have never heard the message or the name of Jesus? Well, there's another question we have to get that to before, we'll get to it. But the question before that is, how does God judge anyone? How does God judge anyone? And the answer, we have actually already covered it tonight, is, is this. He will judge everyone based on truth. What do you mean? His definition. 
not the one that you kind of rewrote. His death, he will judge everyone based on truth. Where do you get that? Romans chapter two, verse two. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So however God judges anybody, that judgment will be based on the truth that he has revealed to every human being and he's revealed it to the level that to reject that truth would leave a person without excuse. Does that make sense? Which means this, I'm gonna say it about five different times tonight, all right? It means this, and I got this email a lot. I get this, for years I've gotten this, all right? But what if a person doesn't have the ability to know truth or discern truth, such as a baby? All right, that's a great question. Because a baby doesn't know, baby knows I'm hungry and I put my pants. That's really all a baby knows. They don't really beyond that. So what, what about a baby who doesn't know what truth is? Or, or what about someone without a mental capacity to be held accountable for their own behaviors? Well, then God knows the truth about them. He knows what's going on, all right? And he will judge them accordingly. And we can leave that to a really kind, gracious God who understands all the angles, all right? But those who, here's the thing, because that leads toward an excuse. Let's get back to this. But those who cannot understand and those who do not understand or will not understand, that's not the same thing. See, they don't understand because they refuse to listen or understand and believe. Or they've never been given a chance to hear and understand and believe. That's different than I, I can't, it's impossible for me to believe. And I'm gonna say this again, just so that we're all clear on this. Because if you miss this, then the rest of this doesn't make sense and God is unfair. According to Romans chapter one, last week we looked at this, God has made sure that every person on the planet from the beginning of time, that includes every person on every continent, on every island, in every corner of the globe, all right, has had access to enough truth about God to be held accountable without excuse to what God has revealed to them as this is true. In other words, no matter where you are on the planet, God has given you a standard of truth that you can believe in if you're willing to. You say, how does he do that? I don't know. Right, that he doesn't know that either. All right, I don't. I don't fully know. He's God. He, he just, he, because he's, he's gracious and fair and just, all right, I'm gonna give them enough truth, enough that they can believe in and follow it. And if they don't, then I'm gonna hold them accountable to it. And in Romans 2, we see this, based on that truth that God has made known to everyone, Romans 2, verse six, God will give to each person according to what he has what? Done. So, so God will judge every person, no exception for what they did compared to the truth that God revealed to them. Now, now according to the Bible, every per, that leaves us, every person on the planet really, into two categories when it comes to that truth he's revealed to you, all right? Category one is this, those of us who have perfectly aligned themselves to what God has made known about truth and we lived up to it without fail. Where do you get that from, Jim? Romans 2, verse seven. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. So if somehow, I mean, you work hard and by persistence, hard work, you are able to perfectly, without mistake, without ever falling short, live out God's truth that he revealed to you, you're great. You're in. You have eternal life. You can be with God. So let's just see, all right? Let's pull this room and allow this room to represent the entire history of human beings when it comes to truth performance. By show of hands, how many of you have perfectly, every day of your life, without fail, aligned yourself to what you know God has told you is right and true in your behaviors, in your thoughts, and how you've treated every person you've encountered every day of your life perfectly? By show of hands, go. Yeah, me either, all right? Which leaves us all in category number two. Those who have fallen short of what God has revealed to us about truth. Where do you get that? Romans chapter two, verse eight. But for those who are self-seeking, and that means, God, thanks, no thanks, I'm gonna, I'm gonna seek what I want. 
and who reject the truth and follow evil, and evil's not like boogeyman, it's like evil like it's a dead end, it's just not true, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I mean, everybody's included in this, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, and inserted there would be perfectly does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And it's a a sweeping statement. Verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. In Romans chapter three, a couple weeks ago, we saw this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory, the truth, the reality of God. Last week, we saw this. For the wages of sin is death. So the Bible is clear across the board. No favorites, no exceptions, no excuses. No, but what about them and what about them? No, no, no. God has revealed enough truth to every person to be held accountable. Every person. Which means this. If you keep God's truth, you're righteous. You're in, you're good. If you don't keep God's truth, you're condemned. Now here's the thing is, all right, whether you're a Christian or not, most religions agree with that. Most, right? The big question is not how does God judge people because it makes sense no matter what religion you're a part of, God, if there is a God, holds us to a standard that's consistent with what he says is true, right? That just makes sense. Here's truth, live up to it. If you do, you're in. If you don't, sorry. But see, that's not the biggest question that's on your mind. See, the, the, the big question is this, but what about if you haven't kept God's truth perfectly? How, how is a person saved from the wrath, the, the wage and the condemnation that without excuse, we all have coming? How does a person have their sins forgiven and made right with God? And here's a message that's gonna make a lot of you angry. You're gonna get, you're gonna, in the next few minutes, you're gonna get angry at me, you're gonna get angry at Flatterns, you're gonna get mad at Jesus. Listen, I understand. I'm nervous about saying it because every time, almost every time that Peter stood up in the Bible and said what I'm about to say, he either got arrested or beaten or run out of town for what I'm about to say. One time a guy named Paul who wrote this, he, he said what I'm about to say to some people. They disagreed with him and they, they hit him in the head with rocks. They thought he was dead and they, they, they dragged him out and left him in a ditch thinking he was dead. So I'm a little nervous about this. Because I know some people are like, I don't want to hear this. I don't want this. I don't come to church. But here's why I'm going to go ahead and say it. Because every time this message has ever been announced in history, not only did it make some people mad, but it made a whole bunch of people feel joy for the first time and they believed and they were reconnected back with God. And here it is. Acts chapter four, verse 12. The first public sermon ever says this. This is Peter talking. Salvation, reconnection back to God, having your sins forgiven. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And that should raise a couple questions here, okay? See, first of all, when, when Peter said that, you know, there's no other name, you know, salvation is found in no one else. I, I bet people kind of wrinkle up his head, their, their foreheads like some of you are doing going, I don't know, what did he say? Because up to that point, all religion had claimed that salvation and connection to God and righteousness and having your sins forgiven, all right, that, that came from something you did. And Peter didn't say salvation is found in nothing else. Like he was about to announce, okay, you guys have been missing it. Here's the one thing you've been missing. Go do this thing and then you'll be saved. No, that's not what he said. What Peter said is salvation is found in what? No one else. No one else as in a person. In other words, salvation is found in and through one person and his name is Jesus. And there's no other name, no other person, no other way to be saved other than through the name, the person of Jesus. All right, Uh, jumping ahead, Paul says it this way in in Romans chapter 10. He says this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? 
saved. For it is with your heart that you believe. So it's with your heart, okay? This is something inside that only God can teach you. It's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved, because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him and Jesus will never be put to shame, never be embarrassed in front of God, all right? For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, will be saved. What's that mean? It means this. If you believe, if you have faith that Jesus is Lord, that he really is who he says he is, that he died for your sins and that God raised him back to, back to life on the third day, then right at this moment in time, you can call on the name of Jesus and ask him, can that count for me? And you will be saved. Which brings up another, another big question. Yeah, but what if no one's ever told you about the name of Jesus, right? Because, because you can't be saved by believing in Jesus if you've never heard of Jesus. That's a great question. You're very smart people, all right? Yeah, all right. And you aren't the first to ask it. What do you mean? Paul, the guy who writes this, he asks the same kind of questions. So I'm gonna go through a list of questions that, that Paul asks and answer out loud if you know the answer, all right? Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they've not heard, they've not believed in? They can't, that's, the that's what I was gonna say. They can't, they can't, right? You can't call on somebody if you don't believe in them. Next question, how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? Answer, they can't, all right, this just makes sense, all right? I never heard of him, how am I gonna believe in him, let alone call on him, all right? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And preaching just means somebody told them, delivered a message. So how can they hear without somebody telling them? And the answer is, you can't, all right? Verse 15, and how can they preach, how can they deliver the message unless they're sent? The answer is they can't. But also, not only are they sent, but they also have to agree to go, which we'll get to that in just a minute. And then Paul quotes an Old Testament verse regarding this, this army phrase that was floating around back then. And it's like if an army was in the trenches and they were about to be defeated because they were just overwhelmed. And then somebody goes, listen, and they hear the footsteps of a messenger coming up the trail and it delivers this message. Help us on the way. Reinforcements. It's going to be okay. Just hang on just a little bit more. Or it also translates a slave hearing somebody walking up to where they, where they are, delivering the news that, hey, you're about to be set free. And here's the Old Testament quote Paul uses. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, that's another way of saying, best day of my life is when I heard your feet coming up my sidewalk. You know, when you, when you emailed me, texted me, called me or whatever, it's not in the Bible, but go with it, all right, all right? And you said, can we meet at Starbucks or something like that? Because I, I want to talk to you about something really, it's really good and I want you to hear it. How beautiful was that day? That's what it's talking about. So let me, um, let, let me say this plainly in case anybody missed the answer to the question. How does God judge people who have never heard about Jesus? And the answer is based on truth and according to what they have done. And so your options of connecting with God are live a perfect, truthful life or Jesus. See, you are judged by what you have done or you are judged by what Jesus did for you. Those are the options on the table, the deals on the table, right? You say, well, what if you've never heard about Jesus, all right? Just take a breath and stay to the end, all right? Then according to God's word, you're lost. But what if you've lived a good life? That's not the question. Have you lived a perfect life? No, then you're lost. But what if you're really sorry for your past and you try to, to do better and be a good person? The, the wage of sin is not say you're sorry, do better, and try to be a good person. The wage of sin is death. You either pay the wage yourself or you find someone who's perfect to pay it for you. But who would do that for you? Or who could do, even if they were willing to? And the answer is Jesus, period. Come back to this statement every week so far. Either salvation comes from God through faith in Jesus to all who believe, or it doesn't. 
Those are the only options on the table. Either there's only one name under heaven, not under America, not under some parts of the world, not for some people over here, but not for people over there. No, no, no. There's either no other name in existence by which we can be saved, or there are a bunch of them. Just pick one. According to the Bible, there's just one, the name of Jesus. Now, nobody's left that I can see so far, but before you get mad at me and call me or Flatirons or Christianity or Jesus, narrow-minded and exclusive. And by the way, it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. I didn't say that. If you say stuff like that, they crucify you, right? They throw stones at you and drag you out, and it just doesn't go well. But, but let me ask this, or if, you're, if your blood pressure is kind of going up right now. Are you mad right now or upset or anxious because you don't think it's true? Or are you in a panic? Because if it is true, it falls really hard on some people that you know and that you love and you know they don't believe in Jesus. Or worse yet, they've already died and you don't know where they stood with Jesus. Because if that's making you feel anxious inside, that would be a legitimate, understandable response. Me too. I get it. You're worried about some people. I am too. But you know, let's just be honest, right? There has to come a time in your life where you have to release people that you can't make a difference in their life anymore. And you have to put them in the hands of a loving, understanding God and trust that he will do the most loving, most righteous thing with the people you love. You can trust him. Here, they're, they're yours now. But then you have to let go of all the speculation with all the, but what about this? And what if they did this? And what if they tried to do this? And I knew this about them. Because anytime you start trying to speculate all the what ifs and what abouts that the Bible doesn't talk about, that's all you have. All you have is speculation. All you have is guessing and maybe and, and who knows. That's, all, that's, all, that's the only place you'll land. But the Bible is clear that when it comes to Jesus, you can know at this moment, right now, that you and some people that you love are saved and forgiven and connected to God. There's no more guessing. There's no more wondering. There's no, wor no more worrying about, am I good enough? Or did I screw up last Thursday and God got mad at me and kicked me back out? No, no, no. If you call in faith on Jesus, you are saved. But what if I make a mistake? If you call in faith on Jesus, you are forgiven and connected to God, which in a sense, go with this, flips it back on you. And I'm gonna bring something up that's gonna cause a lot of us in this room to start making excuses. Yeah, but you don't know, and what about this, all right? And here's what I mean. I'm gonna make a comparison, all right? There was a time in history, all right, some just a few years ago, some hundreds of years ago, but there was a time in history when there were some diseases floating around the world, malaria, polio, AIDS. It was like an automatic death sentence. Remember those days? There's no cure. If you were exposed, you died, all right? Not because you were a bad person, not because you, you intentionally did something wrong, and not because God didn't love you. You made a mistake, or somebody else made a mistake, or you just got exposed and you got sick. And everybody was throwing cures around, right? Cures that didn't work. We're promised by all kinds of people. Try this, medicine men, witch doctors, old home remedies. But every day, people continue to cry out from the suffering and the loss that were the result of these diseases. Some of them looked up to the heavens where they sensed, I don't know what you're about, but I think you're there. Will you help me? And then at a certain point in history, a vaccine, a medication was discovered and healing or better yet, protection from contraction of those fatal diseases was now available. Not to everybody. Not to everybody on the planet, just to the people who had it brought to them, right? Who had access to it and then said, yeah, I, I want that. And from then on, that moment on, do you see how the responsibility and the urgency changes? 
It changed from those who don't know the truth or they think something's true, but it's really not. It changed to those who know the truth, but now we're trying to decide whether to keep it for ourselves or share it with those who don't have it. Then once it's shared with somebody, all right, the responsibility switches back to the receiver to accept it or refuse it. But until then, those who have the truth, those who have the cure are commanded to go and share it. Are you doing the math? See, there are only two possible responses or application I can see to this. And some of us are sitting here and here's our response. I don't believe this. This is silly. I don't believe Jesus is the only way to be saved. Okay, I started this whole series saying, I'm gonna say some things that are so outlandish that unless God tells you in your heart that it's true, you'll never believe it. And that may be you tonight. You're sitting there going, I just don't believe that, all right? That's fine. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said, but I can't make you believe anything. You have to work that out with God. All right, keep coming. The, the, the second response would be this. I didn't, I, I didn't believe it, but I think I do. All right, I think I want in. That's a great deal. I want to call on his name. And again, I got asked this today, or this week, by a gentleman going, so what's the procedure? I don't know. It's, ask him. All right, all right. The other response would be this. I, I, I believe, I've walked in here believing it. Jesus is the only way to be saved. But be careful, because if you land there, if you really believe it, why haven't you shared it with anybody? See, if I was on the receiving end needing some truth in my life, if I had a spiritually fatal condition, I'd be more mad at you. Not that you tried to tell me and, and I rejected it, but if you believed you knew something this important and you claimed to care about me and love me, what took you so long? Right? Why, why didn't you at least try? I mean, can you imagine showing up at a village? I'm going to Africa next week. Showing up at a village with some, some malaria medicine and I hand it to a mom and goes, my kid died last week. That's on me. Listen, I know that brings up a lot of emotions and questions, and I have all of those too, and I can't answer them all. I do know this. Whenever I get on a plane and go to places like Afghanistan or tomorrow night, I'm flying to Uganda and then going up to Sudan and Nairobi, all right? I'm going to some places, if you've seen on the news or, or seen some movies recently, where, where over the last 20 years, thousands, millions of men and women and children have been hacked up with machetes, murdered, raped, and enslaved. And every time I go to places like that in the world, I ask myself this question, why did I get to be born here? I didn't pick. I, I, I got to be born here. And not even 200 years ago when people were dying all over the place, I got to be born here now. And then I look at these, these beautiful children in the world and I think, well, why did they have to be born in this sewage dump at this time in history? And here's the thing is, I don't have the answer to that. I don't. I do every time I have this overwhelming sense of responsibility. I don't know all the whys, but I do know I have to do something. I have to do something. I have to say something. I have to do something. Not, not to get God to love me and not to get God to save me, but because I'm convinced he already does love me and he's already saved me. See, I and a lot of us in this room, we've been given the honor and the privilege and the responsibility of knowing Jesus as our savior. We get to be saved. And if I believe that, I can't keep that to myself. I don't know how that applies to you. I do know this, about 30 years ago, all right, I had this overwhelming conviction that goes like this. Everybody lives and everybody dies. And when they die, everybody will spend eternity somewhere. And those who call on the name of Jesus will live with Jesus, starting now, but lasting forever. And those who don't, won't. So what do I do with that information? You know, based on that belief and that conviction, that's why I do this. I became a preacher and a pastor, and that's not what everybody needs to do. Maybe somebody's in here waiting for that sign. There's your sign, whatever that is, all right? But, but here's my question. Um, what is God, and, and I'm not saying is God, what is God telling you to do with this information? 
Here's the application. If you believe, stop making excuses and get up out of this room and go do it. Because all who call on the name of Jesus, and they have to hear the name of Jesus before they can call on the name of Jesus, will be saved. And if that's you tonight, call on the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive your sins. And he'll say, yeah, I've been waiting for you to do this. And if it's, if, it's, if, it's, it's, if it's having a hard conversation with your friends at school or at work going, listen, you might make fun of me, you might think I'm just a, a religious freak or whatever, but you know, you don't have to believe this, but I have to at least give you the opportunity to say no. I'm not gonna say no for you. You wanna take it another level? It's put a bunch of money in, a, in, in an envelope and give it to somebody who wants to go to another place in the world and help people. It means get on an airplane and next time I go to Africa, go with me. Why? Because there's a lot of people that just, they would call the name of Jesus if they knew him. Don't say no for anybody. So Luke is gonna sing this. It's my new favorite song. It's my new favorite song, Luke, all right? And uh, so whenever it becomes your favorite song, then you stand up and worship with us. God, I love you so much. What's not to love? I mean, I could come up with a list of all the reasons why you should disqualify me. And I think everyone in this room has a long list of all the reasons why and how come. You know, I gotta leave, I gotta leave people in the world that I don't have even an opportunity to, to touch or, or make a difference in their life. I have to leave them to you, all right? That's your deal. But as for me and the people within my reach, I mean, if you've done this good thing in my life, I just don't wanna be that selfish guy that says it's good for me, sucks for you. <laughs> I just don't wanna be that guy and I think I have way too long in my life. God, if there's anyone in this room tonight that finally clicked in their heart going, I, I wanna be connected to God and I believe it's through Jesus. And so Jesus, I call on your name right now. Will you let what you did on the cross pay for my sins? Will you forgive my past and will you empower me and walk through the future with me into eternity? Will you help me become the man, the woman, the person that I've always wanted to be but didn't even know how to get there, but you in me could make a difference. And so I invite you into my heart right now. And God, if this is, if this is true, if that really is the conviction of my heart, there's someone on my heart right now that, that deserves at least the opportunity to say yes or no for themselves. So whatever that is, if there's somebody out there that's disconnected and lost and you came to seek and save us, just, just, just lead us to, to the next person that you're seeking. I love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.